0: We're going to look in John chapter 17, and we're going to read the whole chapter together, intercessory prayer of Jesus. And uh, while you're uh, opening up your Bibles, there, just want to remind you a couple of things. Make sure to get a flyer out in the foyer for our couples retreat coming up in October, October 15th through 17th. And um, uh, the schedule's on there. We have a, a catered dinner we're doing on Friday night. Everything will be here at the church. And so uh, we wanted to do that because this is the 40th anniversary coming up for our church in November. And so uh, we want you to be a part of that and get signed up. The other thing is, is on the back table there, I mentioned this morning, it's just a little calendar thing. It looks like this. It's 40 days of prayer and fasting. And what we'd like you to do is if you pick it up, you'll see there's a blue line on the the calendar, uh, which represents uh, Election Day. And so on September the 25th, uh, from the 25th until Election Day is 40 days. So we'd like to, for you to pray every day for the election. If God so leads you to fast, you might not be able to do 100% fast. Uh, you might uh, fast for one meal rather than eating dinner or maybe eating breakfast, whatever the normal uh, routine is in your life. Take that time and pray for our election. And so that gives us 40 days. Well, you'll see on the thing when you get one, uh, October the 7th, then we overlap for 40 days of fasting and prayer for our anniversary of our church, uh, which is the third Sunday in November. And so uh, please take these and just use it as a little guide or a reminder in your Bible that you need to pray. And we want to pray for 40 days for each of these events. And um, the reason is I believe that our election that is coming up is so vitally important. I believe we're only one election away from becoming a Marxist socialist government. And so we need to pray for God's grace to continue to extend to us the liberties and freedoms that we have. But also, we, I want you to pray for the anniversary of the church because the only hope that America has is the church of Jesus Christ. And so the church is so much more vitally important uh, than the election is, but we need to pray for the election and then pray for our church, that God will use us in a great way to be a witness and a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so how are we gonna do that? We're gonna do that through prayer. And I wanted to evaluate the intercessory prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17. So let's read this together. You follow along as I read out loud. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may also be glor- uh, glorified thee. And thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. "...that they might know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth, I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world." Thine they are, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. Uh, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father, uh, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are." While I was in the world uh, I'm sorry while I was with them in the world I kept them in thy name those that thou gavest me I have kept and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled and now come I to thee and these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that you should take should take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect and one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. What a chapter. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this great chapter. Uh, Thank you for this great intercessory prayer of Jesus. I pray that we might be able to learn from it some very simple practical truths that will help us uh, to be motivated, stirred, challenged, convicted, uh, to be faithful prayer warriors, uh, pursuing the living God so that we can do miraculous things in a world that hates God. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd bless the preaching of the word tonight, uh, bring things to my mind that need to be said that I had not thought of. And Lord, I just pray that you would close my mouth when it's things that I shouldn't say. And so, bless the preaching of the word of God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. The intercessory prayer of Jesus Christ, um, some have called this passage, chapter 17 in John, the holy of holies of the gospel of John. And as you go through this chapter, you cannot but experience a sense of urgency and compassion on the heart of the Savior as he's praying for his disciples. And yea, not just his disciples, but he's also praying for those that would believe on him through the word or the witness of those disciples, which certainly would point to us. It is a privilege, literally, to hear the Son of God talking to his heavenly Father in heaven. I don't know if we stop and really think of the significance of John chapter 17, but God has literally allowed us to listen in to a conversation that the Son is having with his Father in glory. And so what a privilege it is to be able to read this prayer and to know what he is crying out to his Father. Notice, first of all, that Jesus, when we think about this prayer, acknowledges some things in reference to this prayer he acknowledges the perseverance of the father in verse 11 he says and i'm going to be just kind of hitting different verses going through here as we develop our points and and think about what we need to apply and verse 11 says and now i am no more in the world but these are in the world and i am come to thee holy father keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me that they may be one as we are one. And so the perseverance of the Father in heaven, God's sovereignty and God's ability to be able to hold those uh, that have put faith in Jesus Christ. And I thought of three aspects of this perseverance of the Father in reference to the promise of Abraham. Uh, And God had promised Abraham that he would make of him a mighty nation and the nation is Israel. And uh, certainly you can read through the book of Genesis, read through the life of Abraham, read through the Old Testament history, and see that God does uh, persevere in establishing his people Israel. You cannot read very much about the nation of Israel and the founders and leaders in Israel and not see there were some problems with those who took leadership. And certainly, the, Israel is Israel and is still in the world today. And it's because of the perseverance of God Almighty. And he made a promise to Abraham, and God is seeing it through. And so, uh, we, Jesus acknowledges God's ability to keep those whom he had given. And so, we see the promise to Abraham in reference to Israel. I think of the promise to the apostles. And, uh, and when I think of the promise of the apostles, I think of the church. And Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Uh, we read in the New Testament also that the apostles were the pillar and ground of faith in reference to the church. And God has, uh, in his grace and in his uh, 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 perseverance and power and sovereignty, has kept the church alive. Oftentimes people say, well, the church is going to die. The church is not going to die. The church is going to be raptured, amen? And I just know this. If we'll pray, and we'll go after God, and we'll believe God, that we don't have to worry about keeping the church functioning. It is God who keeps the church functioning. And so the promise to the apostles and God's perseverance. And then I see the promise to us personally Uh, This prayer that Jesus offers, it's amazing how many times he identifies his disciples personally in his prayer. I'm thankful that he's interceding for us. I'm thankful that he's praying for us. And I'm thankful that there are promises that God has made to us. And last week we looked at some of the promises in the Bible that God has made to his people. And those promises are fulfilled based on the perseverance of God. Now, I'm not a Calvinist by any shot uh, or any figment of somebody's imagination, but I'm going to tell you one thing right now. There is the reality of God's perseverance. There is the reality of God's steadfastness. There is the reality that when God makes a promise, God sees it through, whether it be Israel or the church or to us personally. And so we get to a view of Jesus' heart in this prayer as he's talking with his father. Notice in verse 12, we see the persistence of Jesus, or the persistence of Christ. He says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost." I'm thankful for the perseverance of the Father in heaven in fulfilling the promises that he has made. But I'm thankful for the persistence of Christ that those that God gave to Jesus, he has held on to. He has not let them go. And if that is the case, then I believe that we are secure in our salvation. I don't need to worry about losing my salvation. I don't need to worry about... Whether I'm a part of the body of Christ, if God has saved me, his son has delivered me, then bless God, then I'm a part of the family of God. I've been adopted into the family of God, and I am joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The persistence of Christ. He's In his prayer, he's acknowledging to his father, all those that you have given me, I've held on to them. And that's a wonderful thing to think that God has a hold of you tonight. Uh, whether you're you're in great health or you're in lousy health, uh, whether you're financially secure or whether you're going under, uh, whatever it is that you're dealing with in your life, Jesus Christ has not let go of you, and you're in His hands. And I see the persistence of Jesus, so I'm secure as my salvation, and he equips us for service, because you understand that as He's praying to His Father, identifying the disciples that God had given him, Jesus' goal and uh, Jesus' involvement in their life was to equip and prepare them to do the work of the ministry. And when Jesus would be crucified, he would be dead and buried, he would rise again, he would ascend up into heaven, the church would continue on because of the fact that he had equipped the apostles to be able to do the work of the ministry. And so it is God that has a hold of us, and it is God that gifts us and enables us to be able to go on. So I see in his prayer, he identifies the perseverance of his father. He identifies the persistence of himself. And then we see the persuasiveness of Satan in verse 12. It says, uh, there is none of them lost, but the son of perdition ...that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And Satan fights against the salvation of souls. Uh, you look in the book of Acts, anytime you read through the missionary journeys, you see what's going on. You see the preaching going on. Every time you see souls being saved, you see Satan fighting against it. Satan does not want someone to be saved... And he'll do whatever he can to prevent people from coming to the truth of the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's he's praying in reference to the son of perdition and his work and his influence on those that are around him. Then certainly we as believers in Christ ought to be praying for God to protect those that the devil would try to persuade not to get saved. I mean, we ought to be praying God bind the hands of Satan so that he cannot hold someone back from being saved. I mean, every church service, we ought to be praying in our hearts, God in this service, if someone's there not saved, hold back the demons of hell, hold back the devil because he's gonna fight against every opportunity for someone to be saved. It's always interesting to me that when you give an invitation in church, Everything will be fine. And then you give an invitation. All of a sudden, everybody's got to run to the bathroom. Or you give an invitation. And all of a sudden, there's some you know, shuffling around in the church service. The most important time in the church service is the invitation at the end. Because that is the time of the conviction of the Holy Spirit to impress upon somebody that they are lost and on their way to hell, and at that very moment there is a spiritual battle that is waging, and it's Satan fighting against their soul that Jesus wants to save. And so he identifies, he prays in reference to this son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Satan blinds their eyes. If our gospel be hidden. A to them uh, whose eyes have been blinded. By whom? By Satan. And so he blinds their eyes so they cannot see uh, what it means to be saved and how they need to be saved. Judas Iscariot is a frightening example of the demons of hell uh, grabbing a hold of a person's soul and not letting go. You know, when Jesus was betrayed of Judas, he had an opportunity to be saved. And Jesus would call him friend when he came to betray him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I just wonder, in the prayer that Jesus is offering up in this chapter, that he mentions the son of perdition, he is praying in reference to Judas Iscariot. And how uh, frightening it is that you can literally be in a church, you can be in a fellowship, you can be in a Bible study and not be saved. And the devil can confuse you and capture your soul and Jesus is praying that you might be saved. So the intercessory prayer of Jesus. I wanna think about three things tonight in reference to the intercessory prayer of Jesus and these are coming out of verses in this prayer. First of all, I want us to see the spiritual priorities in prayer. We need to have spiritual priorities in prayer. Verse 1, glorifying the Father. He says, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. Oftentimes our prayers, I think, are consumed with or directed or focused on our needs. Uh, How many times do we go to God in prayer and established a priority in our prayer that the first thing we're going to pray for is that our Father in heaven might be glorified. And uh, whether it's God meeting your needs or whether it's God saving somebody's soul or whether God is giving you uh, great victories in your life, the end result of our prayer ought to be focused on bringing glory to our Father in heaven. And uh, listen, it's His grace that has been extended to us his grace that has delivered us and he receives all the glory and acknowledgement from us uh, because of whatever we uh, or can experience by the hand and the blessing of God. So spiritual priority, glorify the Father. In verse 17, I see the sanctifying the believer. In verse 17, is is a familiar verse. We've often quoted and mentioned it. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth and so... Uh, we need to pray not only that the Father in Heaven will be glorified, but we need to pray that believers will be sanctified. Uh, we're, we're living in a, an era in Christianity where sanctification is a lost concept. We're living at a time in Christian history uh, that there is not the focus or significance of believers being sanctified before the Lord and we need we need to pray for one another that we'll be sanctified need to pray that we will be separated from this world and will be separated unto our god and uh, we we must be praying that for each other because there is a constant turmoil and fight that draws us away from being totally separated unto our god and so we need to pray to that end god sanctify them sanctify them in truth Well, how are they sanctified in truth? The word of God is truth. So we need to pray that the word of God will settle in people's hearts so they might be sanctified. In verse 18, notice we need to pray about winning the lost. In verse 18, it says, as thou hast sent me into the world, all this that we're reading is a prayer that Jesus is offering up. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so, have I also sent them into the world. And so our priority in prayer is not just glorifying the Father and the sanctification of the believer, but it's the winning of the loss. Uh, it ought to be heavy on our hearts uh, that people are lost and they need to be saved. Uh, and we need to pray consistently over this these 40 days of prayer and fasting. Take time specifically each day And pray for somebody to be saved. And uh, I remember when I got saved and I felt God called me to preach. I felt called to preach because all I could do was see the young people that got baptized when I was 13 years old. They got baptized with me on Easter Sunday in a Baptist church. And not one of us, not one of us were saved. And all I could see was those friends of mine that I grew up with. Dying and being cast into hell. That's all I could see. And the question kept coming to my mind. Why wouldn't somebody tell me? Why wouldn't somebody tell us? I don't understand why it is that we know the way of salvation, but we won't tell people how to be saved. And uh, the, the greatest thing that you can do for someone is to tell them how to be saved. So pray That they'll get saved. You need to focus on winning the lost. If you're not praying for the lost, you won't be talking to the lost. If you're not praying for the uh, souls of men and women and boys and girls, uh, you won't be speaking to people about their soul. And so winning the lost. I see another priority in verse 21 through 23 is the unifying the church. In verse 21, it says, That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. What a great statement. You say, well, how should there be unity in in the church? The unity in the church ought to pattern itself after the relationship of the Father with the Son. You do understand that there's no competition in the Godhead. You do understand there's no jealousy in the Godhead. You do understand that the relationship between the father and son is one of mutual equality uh, in the Godhead. And in verse 22, he goes on and says, And the glory which thou hast gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and thou and me, and that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. I mean, the unity within the church is based upon the relationship of God the Father and God the Son. And so we need to pray for unifying the church. And uh, because there's always, listen, there's always some situation that comes up in our lives where we feel offended or where we feel that we've been neglected or we feel that we've been overlooked or we feel that there's someone is against us or someone is hurting us. There's always an opportunity like that. You realize there is none of that between the Father and the Son. And the prayer of Jesus Christ is that in the church, there might be that type of a relationship with believers and being unified in the church, so I see spiritual priorities in prayer. I see spiritual gifts through prayer. Uh, God gives spiritual gifts through prayer. First of all, in verse back in verse two and three, we're going to just kind of pick these verses apart. The gifts of eternal life. Verse two says, "As thou has given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life." to as many as thou hast given him, and this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. And so eternal life, Uh, never forget that your soul is saved because it is a gift from God. Uh, It is not something that you work for. It's not something that you deserve. But because of the fact that Christ intercedes for us, he prays for the sinner and he came to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sinner. Uh, we can rejoice that we are saved. You ought to thank God in your prayer time for him saving your soul and giving you eternal life. Not only that, but we need to thank him uh, for the gift of the word of God. In verse 14, it says, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them Because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So I I see this common denominator of where the hatred comes from is the fact that he has given us his word. And, uh, you know, you can talk about any book, you can talk about any movement, you can talk about anything you want, and it's okay. But when you start talking about the Bible, all of a sudden everybody's offended. And so God has given us a gift. This, This book is a gift from God. This this is God's Word preserved throughout the centuries so that you and I can pick it up and read it and literally tonight be able to assess and evaluate a prayer conversation that the Son of God had with His Father in heaven. What a great gift God has given us. And so we have spiritual gifts through prayer, eternal life, the Word of God. Verse 22, His glory. Uh, We literally enjoy the glory of God. In the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. Down in verse 24, it says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, uh, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. I think it's interesting that he talks about this being with him because he said, you know, I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so in this intercessory prayer as he's praying for us and praying for his disciples, he says, I, I want to uh, uh, acknowledge the fact that I want them to be able to be where I am and it thought, it was interesting, they may behold my glory. I think we often talk about, I'm thankful for the streets of gold in the heavens. I'm thankful for the gates of pearl. The Bible describes all these things, events, experiences that we're going to have when we get to heaven. But you understand the glory of heaven is Jesus Christ. He said that they may behold my glory. It's not so much about what we're going to see and enjoy and what we're not going to have to deal with anymore. It's about Jesus Christ. What a great gift God has given us. So spiritual priorities in prayer, spiritual gifts through prayer. And then I see the spiritual pattern of prayer uh, as you go through this chapter. Go back to verse 1 again. Says a uh, spiritual pattern of prayer, first of all, prayer for himself. In verse 1, these things spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son may, be glor- may glorify thee. It's interesting that Jesus is praying for himself. Uh, it's not a selfish prayer because he says glorify me so that I can glorify you. So we pray for ourselves. The pattern of prayer is, yes, you need to pray for yourself. You need to pray that God will be glorified in your life. You need to pray that God will strengthen you. You need to pray that God will help you to get over temptations. You need to pray that God would live out uh, his glory in your life. We need to pray for ourselves. It's wonderful to intercede for others, but as Jesus begins this great intercessory prayer, he begins praying for himself. He prayed for himself, then he prayed for salvation in verse 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life uh, to as many as thou hast given him. Uh, Pray for yourself and pray for the salvation of God to come to others. And uh, how about that person you were praying for years ago when you first got saved? And they're still not saved. Are you still praying for them? We can't stop praying for them. We have to continue to pray for them. It's, a, it's an interesting thought that this prayer, we don't think of it in eternal terms because we're reading it in real time here as we open up the scriptures. But you understand Jesus said this and this is carrying on through all eternity. This prayer doesn't stop when he gets at the end of the chapter we're reading it again. We're going to be able to read it again. It's going to be read by someone else again. It's a prayer that continues throughout eternity. So he's praying for those to be saved. And so we don't stop praying for someone to be saved. We don't stop praying for ourselves. He prayed for his disciples. Notice in verse 9. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. There ought to be a special place in our hearts for each other when it comes to prayer. Praying for each other specifically, calling out each other's name before the throne of God. And it would be good for you to pray through uh, the uh, directory that we have for the church. It'd be a great thing to pray through our uh, prayer list that we give out on Wednesdays. It'd be a great thing to connect with people and pray uh, with them. I know there's different people I've called and with COVID and everything, you can't go visiting and whatever's going on, but I've called people and prayed on the phone with them and this, that, and the other. We need to pray for each other as disciples of Christ. And so we see a pattern of prayer. We see the prayer for sanctification in verse 17, you know, sanctify them through thy truth. And so he's praying that they might be sanctified He's praying for the church in verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. And we need to to be praying right now for the person next week that's going to get saved. You say, well, who is it? I don't know. Well, we need to pray. I know this, that if we'll pray, we'll witness, we'll share our faith, we'll be a testimony, we'll reach out to others, somebody's going to get saved. And so we need to pray for the church in reference to not who's here right now. We do pray for each other that's here right now, but for the church of tomorrow, the people will be saved tomorrow, Uh, next week, and next year, and five years from now, we need to be praying for the church. The church is coming up on its 40th anniversary. There's been 40 years of people getting saved in this church uh, over and over again for forty years people- there was a lady that came here this morning. I was talking to her and and she told me she said uh, well, she they, she came down to this area twenty three years ago she said she told me who she was at Doris i don't know who you are i don't I, <laughs> I don't know I talk to so many people and uh, and so she said, well, I came down here she said, and my husband was dying. We moved down here." And she said this. She said, my pastor called you when we moved down here. And she said, you came and visited my, my husband and prayed with him. Uh, and she said, several times you were just over there praying with him. And she said, while you were there, you led my son to the Lord. And I'm like, I don't remember any of this. And uh, you say, why are you saying that? Because she came to church. I think she's going to start coming to church here. But it's been 23 years. We need to be praying for the church of tomorrow. There's multitudes of people that have been saved in this church through the years. But there's multitudes that are going to be saved in the days to come. But they're not going to be saved if we don't pray for the church. And so then, in verse 24, pray for glorification. It says, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may... Behold my glory, which thou uh, hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world, praying for the glorification. Uh, What a day it'll be when we get in the presence of Christ and see him in his glorified state. You know, Peter, James, and and, uh, uh, John went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Christ when they got up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter saw the Lord transformed in the front of his eyes. And Peter's response, this is a good place to be. He said, let's build three tabernacles. <laughs> Stay right here. He said, I'm not going back down there. And, uh, but do you, when you see the glorified Savior, uh, you know, I, I can't wait till we can get our choir back together. And I'll, uh, be able to sing a song we were working on Uh, Behold our God, I want to sing that in church so bad I might stand on top of the pulpit when I sing it, but I finally get a chance to. I mean, when we behold our God and see the glory of heaven, I'm going to tell you it's going to be worth it all. So Jesus' intercessory prayer helps us to see some spiritual priorities that need to be established in our prayer it helps us to be aware of the fact that there are spiritual gifts that we experience through prayer. And there is a significant pattern in how the Lord is offering up this prayer before his Father that we can follow. It is said that the Scottish reformer John Knox, when he came to the end of his life and the last days of his life, had this prayer read to him every day. Oswald Chambers said this in reference to prayer. We have to pray with our eyes on God and not on the difficulties. One of the things I love about this intercessory prayer of Jesus is it does focus our eyes, our attention on our God. Because everything in this prayer... Whether it's dealing with the world or whether it's dealing with the son of partition, or whatever it is, it keeps coming back to focusing on God himself. And in our prayers, that's what it is. Prayers is not making our complaints before the Lord. Prayers are not us uh, trying to reminisce all the problems and difficulties that we're dealing with. Prayer is not an anxiety event trying to get some peace because of all that we're struggling with. Prayer is a time for us to enter into the presence of God and find an answer in reference to what he wants to reveal to us. Ravi Zacharias said this in reference to prayer. I think the reason we sometimes have the false sense that God is far away is because that is where we have put him. We have kept him at a distance. And then when we are in need and call on him in prayer, we wonder where he is. He's exactly where we left him. This intercessory prayer of Jesus puts God right in the place where he should be. He is the focus center point of the prayer that Christ is offering up. And there's all kinds of things that he's praying for but the focus is on his Father in heaven. And folks, intercessory prayer is us not focusing on the problems that we are dealing with. It's focusing on our God in heaven. And listen, God is near. Draw nigh eye to God and he'll draw an to you. God is as close to you as you want him to be. And so let's intercede before the Lord. Let's intercede for each other. Let's intercede for the lost. Let's bring our prayer uh, before the presence of our God in heaven. Intercessory prayer of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Uh, It's an amazing prayer that we can read in John chapter 17. Um, We really see the heart of Christ. We are able to enter uh, into critical thinking in reference to the glory of our Father in heaven. and Lord, we're able to grab a hold of some simple truths uh, that reveal the reality of the victory that we have, irregardless of the circumstances in life. Help us to be faithful, Lord, to pray specifically right now uh, for our elections that are coming up. Help us to be specifically praying for the anniversary of our church. Uh, Help us, Lord, to consistently be praying for each other uh, that we may be one as you are one with the Father. And God will be careful to give you praise and the glory for everything as we trust in the living God. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen.